Well, good morning, everyone, again. I hope you all enjoyed that, that extra hour that you got last night, so hopefully you were able to rest up a little bit. I want to start off by mentioning that this month, November, is Native American Heritage Month. And I want to take a moment to remember the Ohlone people who, whose land we occupy here in the Bay Area. And, and I just want to uh, ask God to forgive us for um, just the atrocities that we should never forget that have been inflicted upon indigenous people. So I just pray that, that we will always remember that and honor those who have come before us. Now, unless you are part of an indigenous people group, everyone in this room is either an immigrant or a refugee or the descendant of an immigrant, refugee, or slave. Essentially, if you are not Native American Indian, you have a personal history of being a foreigner in this land. Someone in your family had to immigrate to this country. Now, the common experience of all foreigners is to assimilate to some degree into the current prevailing culture. But assimilation is not exactly the same as acceptance. And who is accepted is determined by those who have power, whether it's political, economic, social status, class, religion, and may I say, race. And because of this power dynamic, which we can say is unfair or an injustice, some people, actually some of us, right or wrong, are seen as being forever foreigners. The forever foreigner label has been placed on many groups in this country for centuries. Myself, being Asian American, Chinese American, to be more exact, I know this firsthand. Even though for generations my family has lived in America, I am still perceived to be a foreigner by some, especially during this pandemic. Although microaggressions still happen to me, more than I like, over time, I've learned to not get too upset when people say things like, what are you? Or where do you really come from? Has that ever happened to you? I guess I'm supposed to be flattered when I'm told, wow, you speak English really well. And at times, I'm not sure someone is being racist or just being rude. Especially during this pandemic, Asians are being blamed for spreading COVID. Maybe I'm just being overly sensitive, but on my recent vacation to Hawaii, I was standing in front of an elevator with another couple who happened to be white. So when the elevator arrived, the woman turned to me and said, you can take the next elevator. Whoa, I mean, what do you mean, you? In my mind, I was thinking, what do you, what kind of people are there like this? What happened to politeness or civility? Unfortunately, Christians are not exempt from having this bias against those they perceive as foreigners. That's why the church has come to be known as the most segregated place on Sundays for a variety of reasons, some good and some not so good. We all want to worship in a safe place where our voices 
are heard and affirmed. Sadly, that is not always the case, even in the church. Our current series is called Injustice for All. We are learning what it means to do kingdom justice, to have a worldview that aligns with God's. Last week, Pastor Eric told us justice means to treat every person like the image of God and often requires sacrifice and generosity. Contrary to the world's way, if you're a foreigner or hang out with foreigners, be encouraged that God has a special place in his heart for you because God cares for the foreigner. Leviticus 19, verse 33 to 34 says this, When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native-born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Here, God clearly states, love them as yourself, to love foreigners as yourself. This is also consistent to what Jesus told the teacher of the law in Matthew 22, verse 39, what the second greatest commandment was, which is love your neighbor as yourself, exactly repeating the words in Leviticus 19. Old Testament and New Testament commands being consistent. Plus, Deuteronomy 27, verse 19, tells us that God defends the foreigner. Cursed is anyone who withholds justice from the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow. According to this verse, God will withhold blessings to those who don't give justice to the foreigner, in addition to orphans and widows. If we take this verse seriously, it seems to imply that people should treat foreigners justly if they want life to go well for them and not be cursed. I don't know about you, but personally, I don't want to be messing around with God. God is a just God, and he says he will curse those who withhold blessings to foreigners. So from these two particular commandments uh, from Deuteronomy and Leviticus, If being a foreigner brings a whole lot of negativity, is there any positive side to this? Well, let me offer this for those who follow Jesus. As Christians, God tells us to be in the world, but not of the world. So be assured of this. Essentially, it seems to imply God wants us to be foreigners. He really does. As his followers, we will be looked upon as foreigners because in many ways we should be different from culture and society around us. So expect hatred and prejudice with this identity if we take Jesus' words seriously. In John 15, verse 19, Jesus told his disciples, if you belong to the world, it it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. When we do not belong to the world, in essence, aliens in a strange land or foreigners, if the world rejects foreigners, so be it. Because Jesus tells us in John 15, he chooses us for that reason. What seems to be a negative 
is redeemed by God as a positive. And hopefully we can receive that with joy. If we are considered foreigners because of our immigration history, that fact should draw us closer to Jesus. And Jesus draws closer to foreigners. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are forever foreigners. Embrace that identity as good news. If God cares for the foreigner, then we, as his followers, should too. If God defends the foreigner, then we must too. And if God wants us to be foreigner-like, we should do likewise. Amen? At this time, uh, I want to call up a good friend, um, Dr. Russell John, who's going to join me to help me out with this issue of what it means to be a forever foreigner. Why don't we give Russell a warm CLC welcome? So for some of you who don't know, um, Russell has been a friend of CLC a long time. I remember when you were in your doctor program <laughs> visiting us, and I think you were, we were part of your research back in those days. But Russell is um, a professor at uh, San Francisco State University in the Asian American uh, Studies program. He is, in his spare times, able to do something I can't imagine, but he's written a couple books. Uh, one of them is At Home in Exile, which is an excellent book about... Uh, his own journey and his family's journey, so I recommend picking this up, and it's, um, it's funny. It's actually very funny, <laughs> and, it's, and it's very uh, accurate as to many of our immigration histories. Uh, we both have a similarities. We're both from San Francisco. Uh, we both went to the same high school, and also our family's uh, immigration pattern is very similar. So uh, pick this book, and another one that came out uh, recently, it's The Family Sacrifices. So it's an excellent book, too. So I'll give this shameless plug for Russell's books. <laughs> but recently, recently, Russell uh, got recognized as one of the top 100 influencers by Time Magazine. And so that's a great honor. And as related to his work, his recent work with an organization that he co-founded uh, named uh, Stop. Uh, AAPI hate, and some of you may be familiar with it, and you've probably seen it on the news. So welcome, Russell. How's it? Actually, I kind of wanted to know, is that 100 influencers, uh, most influential people in America or the world? Uh, it's globally. I'm one Global? of the top ones. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so in, yeah, in Bhutan or in Madagascar, I'm powerful there, too. Yeah, okay. That's right. <laughs> I, I remember seeing in an interview recently that, that Russell gave. He's famous all over the world, but in his house, he's like number three. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the normal state for a lot of us in our homes. So if, for those who are not familiar with um, Stop AAPI Hate, can you share a little bit about your organization, how it came about, and what kind of work you're doing? And also, in light of... You know, today's times, you know, a lot of people's attention spans, even the media's attention, span, attention spans, politicians too, is very short. So can you share a bit about that? Okay, thanks, Pastor Calvin. And it's great to be here. I'm Christian Lehman. I'm 
So um, last year, in the beginning of the year, uh, January 2020, when we heard about COVID-19, because I teach Asian American studies, I was really concerned. I knew from history that whenever diseases came from Asia, Asians faced, um, get blamed for the disease, they get scapegoated, and then they face racism, like in SARS 2003. I don't know if any of you remember that. And so we began to track racism um, globally. And early on, by January and February, um, Chinese people around the world were getting attacked, um, barred from establishments. In Sydney, Australia, a person had a heart attack, and no one helped him because they thought he had COVID-19, and so he passed away. Um, We began to track the news in the United States, and there was a clear trend of racism. And we created a website um, called Stop API Hate in five different languages and launched in March. And immediately, I was stunned. We received hundreds of reports. And because we're in our own little silos and because um, we were sort of sheltered by the pandemic, we didn't know what was going on um, outside the Bay Area. But across the nation... um, Throughout every state, we were receiving reports from Asian Americans from all walks of life experiencing racism. And um, there were all forms, they weren't just all hate crimes where you're getting physically attacked, but their microaggressions were getting harassed or getting um, yelled at. People were actually getting shunned, like, like Pastor Calvin. That happened so often that people would just deliberately avoid Asians. And I know it's, <clears throat> for a lot of Asian Americans, it's hard to accept that people are mistreating us or that we're being treated as different or not being seen as belonging. But that's what I saw is really happening, that we were really cast out as forever foreigners. Um, So we created reports and uh, it got national attention, now global attention. Um, The the perpetual foreigner or the forever foreigner status, I want to say is really operative. And even if you haven't personally experienced it, that's how other Americans perceive us as Asians. Um, In half our incidents, People say things like, go back to China, you effing chink. It's really virulent anger and hate directed towards us because of COVID-19. And um, I know for me, it's been traumatizing. I know a lot of Asians tell their elders to stay inside because of the violence. We know even in Oakland, just in this neighborhood, an 80-year-old man was killed. And so it it has been a real horrific period for Asians. Um, And, you know, it it's gotten enough tension that the president has had to deal with it. Um, and so um, you talked about the media attention. It's, um, we don't get as much media attention now, but it, the, the surge of racism continues. It's a daily experience for a lot of Asians. And um, our recent report will come out in a couple of weeks shows that the racism continues unabated, that people continue to spit and cough on us, that you know, when kids play coronavirus tag, they would target the Asian kid. And so these things are happening a lot, and um, it is sort of horrifying, and it is a really difficult time. Uh, I actually is saying it's a, t- a time of collective racial trauma that's akin to Japanese-American incarceration. Not in that it's the same experience, but the trauma is similar, the collective nature of it, the racialized nature of it. It's, um, we're going through historic times, and I think this will be, if you have a teenager, their coming-of-age experience. Yeah, earlier um, this year when uh, the pandem- pandemic was uh, was running rampant in, in, in our, our community and there was a lot of anxiety and fear over it, there was also the, the backlash and the violence against uh, 
Asians, in particular after the Atlanta shootings, that uh, I gave a sermon talking about those kind of incidents were like uh, triggers or hot buttons for a lot of us who've experienced this in the past, and it being very similar to PTSD kind of syndrome. Uh, so your thoughts, I know uh, I identify with some of your thoughts about how God may be using this or how we as believers can heal from those kind of trauma. Yeah, so, um, so Pastor Calvin referred to the Atlanta shootings, right? We're getting mass shot at and targeted. That's chilling. And for those of us um, Asians who are refugees and have gone through previous traumas, have gone through other violence, have um, experienced um, migration, um, displacement, it, all these experiences trigger us. And, you know, you know, when you see the, the video footage of elders getting pushed and shoved, don't you think about your own parents? Don't you think about your own grandparents? And that's, that's my immediate thought, that, again, it's, even if we're not directly attacked, we experience vicarious trauma. And one out of five of Stop APA respondents, we did a study with the Asian American Psychological Association, one-fifth now shows signs of racial trauma. That's three or more symptoms of anxiety, depression, hypervigilance, or avoidance. So if you experience racism, you really do have high rates of anxiety and depression. And, you know, like um, your board member talked about the anxiety and depression, Asian Americans experience it more than the average American because we have the pandemic. We're already anxious about that, but then we're also anxious about the racism. And actually, here's my chilling takeaway fact. When we asked our respondents, what's your greatest stressor during the pandemic? Overwhelmingly, they said racism. So more than the pandemic that's killed over 700,000 people, Asians are more concerned about racism and other Americans' hate. And so that's how concerned we are about getting attacked, of having our elders pushed and shoved. Um, and so I don't know if you feel that, and maybe it's sort of submerged, or maybe we're coming out of it, but I think... That anxiety, that trauma is a real experience. I know I've, I've really had to deal with it. Um, well, because I see the racism on a daily basis and I have these outbursts of anger. I have um, this sort of fog, the, the grayness of trying to go through the day. And so what I'm, and I wonder what's God doing in our midst, right? Why are we experiencing now and how can God redeem it? And one of the ways I, I've learned, um, and I think was a real epiphany for me, is that, uh, can I go on for a little bit for this? <clears throat> um, what God's trying to show me, I think, is that hurt people hurt people, and abused people abuse others. And so we as Asians who experience racism, we learn racism too, right? We become anti-white, we become anti-black, and we have to be honest with that. Or we could internalize that racism and we could self-stigmatize. We may want to shun the Asian parts of us. And I know I've seen a lot of, well, not, I haven't seen a lot. I've heard of kids who've, um, you know, avoided their Asianness. They wouldn't eat Asian food for a year because they saw how stigmatized it was to be an Asian. And so, um, But the good news is, is that if we could actually deal with the racial trauma, if we could actually really learn what it means to be an, a foreigner, and then we 
We feel the hurt of being an outsider. We feel the hurt of not belonging. We feel the pain of being unaccepted. Then we develop empathy for others who are treated that way. Then we understand what it's like to be mass incarcerated or to be mass detained. Then we learn empathy and solidarity. If we learn and accept this racism and feel it, what the lowly status is, then when we are weak, God's grace becomes powerful. Grace, God's grace becomes sufficient. So that's what I want in this moment, is that Asian American, we're a community that is actually victimized, and we're weak, but God comes in among the weak. In Matthew 25, in the passage, it says, when we're strangers, God invites us. And so I want to receive God's redemption and good news in this period of trauma, in this period of victimhood, in this period of pain, and so that healed people can heal others. And this is the redemptive story. If we can go through this period and as Asian Americans not harbor the trauma, not turn it inward or outward, but instead let God heal it, then maybe we could be the witnesses. We could bear witnesses to God's redemption. We could actually be the racial healers for America. And that would be an amazing witness to the United States. If a Christian community actually is forgiving, if a Christian community actually is unifying, if a Christian community actually bears witness to God's good news that even though we're victims, we're going to still be gracious, generous, and hospitable, then, you know, that's all God, because it's clearly not our doing, right, to be able to be forgiving, to be able to be um, generous, to be able to, to care about other groups. And so, I, I hope God will do that work in me for my own individual healing, and I hope he does that work among us as a community, and I hope he can do that with the church. I'm going to uh, turn the conversation more personally here. Uh, Micah 6, verse 8 says, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, even though you're highly sought after now by news stations and you're uh, hanging out with celebrities like Olivia Munn, which I'm kind of jealous about. So I've, I've known you for many years. I know that justice for those who Jesus caused, the least of these, has been part of your life. And I remember when at one of our eye screenings, uh, Russell took time off, his own personal time, to take a woman who was transitioning out of homelessness to come to our eye screen to get her own pair of eyeglasses for the first time. And I remember... Um, Russell texting me, he said, uh, yeah, she, she's staring out the window of the car as we're driving back, and she's remarking that it's been a long time that she can see the trees in the distance clearly. So that touched my heart and also kind of gives new meaning to what it means to give um, sight to the blind. So how did this come about for you, Russell? Uh, how did you... Uh, developed his own compassion or this, this desire to serve God, to, to love the least of these? Um, the desire to care for the least of these, for me and for my, for my family and my wife's Joanne's back there, is um, Jesus is among the poor, right? He's present among the poor. And so if you really want to meet Jesus, if you really want a relationship with him, then you hang around the poor and you get to meet them. And you get to meet him. And so that's why I 
moved to Oakland decades ago. That's why I continue to stay in a low-income neighborhood, because I really do meet Jesus among the poor. Um, this particular person, and thank you, CLC, for providing her glasses. Um, we've been friends for a long time now, and because she's unhoused, you know, she would call us regularly because she needed so much support. And um, I was just thinking about that, how, you know, it's, after a while it becomes this codependent. You know she's using us for her drugs or it's not really a healthy relationship. But for me, it is, again, she reminds me, she actually is Jesus coming and knocking on our door daily saying, are you going to meet me? You know, Russell, I'm here. And the poor are all around us. Jesus is calling out among the poor saying, we're here, I'm here, are you going to meet me? And so she, she offers me, she invites to me relationship, and I think that's what Jesus is doing. She, I, I just realized, is Jesus to me reaching out in the form of a homeless person, in the home of someone hungry, and it's up to me whether I'm going to respond to Jesus. And um, the good news for Gwen and, uh, is that she actually got permanent housing, so our family's really glad to see her and, permanently housed and um, it's a little bit more stable now. Uh, earlier I said God actually wants us to be foreigners, so it's actually a status that should be embraced. Um, what are your thoughts and reflections on having this identity of being forever foreigner? Yeah, yeah for me, um, you know how um, African Americans in the 1960s, they, they reclaimed blackness, right? They said black is beautiful. They wanted black power. Even though it was a stigmatized, stereotyped, really low status from the rest of the world, they reclaimed that, that status and rearticulated what it meant. And for me, I think, again, being treated as a foreigner is really bad in the United States. We build walls against foreigners. We separate the families of foreigners. We think it's legal to because they're foreigner, right? And if you're Asian and they see you as a foreigner, apparently it's okay to spit at grandma or to, to shoot at our um, Asian American workers. And so what I want to do is um, rearticulate the meaning of being a foreigner and actually really claim it for ourselves. And I know for a lot of Asian Americans, the logic of immigration is our parents or grandparents came to America for the American dream. And so what we're doing is pursuing opportunities, right? But the part of the pursuit of the American dream is that in America, whiteness is equivalent to the American dream. Whiteness is that system where you're treated with privilege, you're treated meritocratically, treated as being wealthy, treated as being beautiful, treated as being the norm. And so since Asians come for the American dream, they pursue whiteness. We don't necessarily want to be white. I don't know any of us who want to be white because we want to keep our Asian foods, but we want the status of whiteness, right? And so that pursuit of the American dream leads to the pursuit of whiteness as being part of the system of America that confers privilege. That's really dangerous. There's, it's dangerous for a variety of reasons, um, but part of the danger of the pursuit of the American dream and whiteness is that, first of all, it leads to anti-blackness because it's trying to avoid um, what's opposite of whiteness. But the other danger is that we could get trapped in the pursuit of the American dream. It's basically the love of money. and Or, like Daniel in Babylon, pursuing 
what's at the emperor's table. And I think this is a real danger for Asian Americans as the model minorities. We want what the emperor has. We want what this empire has in terms of its wealth. We want to go on vacation, like Hawaii, sorry. Um, we want, <laughs> we want to um, eat a lot of things. And for me, re reclaiming that perpetual foreigner status means that we're like Daniel in that we don't adopt and eat at the emperor's table, but we seek to be undefiled, right? He became vegetarian so he wouldn't eat the emperor's meat. And I think that's what one of the ways it means to be a forever foreigner. We recognize the dangers of the world and we try to stay away from it. And um, so that's actually a good news of adopting the identity. We are aware of how we are supposed to be different from the world. And right now, I think a lot of Christians don't recognize how to be different from the world. We get so involved with the political system, we get so involved with the economic system, that we're just part of a system that's destroying our environment, right? We're, 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 we're ruining God's creation because we want to be so part of the, what the world has to offer and use up his resources. So for me, I want to be a foreigner because, again, that's who God caused us to be. He sees us as resident aliens to be undefiled. That's the first Peter passage. And so the more we think about it, that the more being a foreigner helps us understand how we can be in the world but not of the world, how we can, you know, distance ourselves from what could corrupt us, distance ourselves from what could tempt us. But again, it's, it's not like I, I'm, I'm really part of the world. You know, I'm, I'm still dealing with it, too. I'm still going on vacation to Hawaii, too. And so. Yeah, we were uh, Freezes are the worst. <laughs> so, uh, Russell, final thoughts to finish up here. Maybe uh, just some suggestions, maybe how uh, our church... Uh, people in our church can help support your work with uh, Stop AAPI Hate or any other uh, efforts that you, you're involved in? Yeah, for Stop API Hate, um, well, this is, again, um, I talked about how I want to see this a period of racial healing and how God might use Stop API Hate. And actually, <clears throat> God can't <clears throat> what I'm seeing now is that God not only redeems us as individuals, but God could redeem the entire world. God could redeem institutions that are broken. God could redeem our world that is broken, our, our environment, our creation. And so um, in California, at least, we actually passed the API equity budget bill that funds $156 million um, to address racism against Asian Americans. That's pretty remarkable for our a government that's never really acknowledged Asians. And so I think that's God, right? And so you could thank God and praise God that this issue is getting addressed. Um, and that you could pray for us, again, for that, for that same integrity, that we could be, even in the political world, right, we're really engaged in policymaking, that we could um, maintain integrity and really seek God's justice, even through institutions that are broken. So that's the weird thing for a lot of Christians. Like, how do you engage in politics, yet still be Christian, right? How can you be in the world, in the world of politics, but not of that political world? And so that's what my prayer request is, is that we could actually maintain a stance of justice and integrity. Um, you can pray that, again, we as the Asian American community, as we are victimized now, that we could actually deal with it, not ignore it, not distance ourselves with it, but really embrace it. And actually teach our young people to embrace it. Because the more our kids understand, yet yeah, we're victims of racism too, then they develop empathy. 
then they develop a concern for others who are bullied or other kids who are left out. And that's a totally Christian characteristic. So pray that we could um, accept our foreignness and then develop empathy. Um, and then pray that for me too, please, because I, I need a lot of empathy or learn to, need to learn it. Well, thank you, Russell, for coming and helping me out here. I'm going to close our time with a word of prayer, so will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as your people break our hearts for what break yours, so we may have compassion to minister to the foreigner. You have a special place in your heart for foreigners, immigrants, and strangers. Many of us fall into those groups, so may your love conquer the world's hate and bias against them. Jesus is our hope, and the Holy Spirit unites us. I ask for your blessing on Russell. Continue to walk with him and his work, especially with Stop AAPI Hate. Grant him your favor to bring light to an issue that has affected Asians for more than a century. May you leverage this moment in time for your glory. And I pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.